engineer, always an engineer. I'm a missionary to the Jewish people today, but I am still building things for the kingdom. And so that is what I'm focused on. I am working on getting this as a way to share the gospel in a new way with a younger generation who spends all of their time on the internet. They're playing video games. They understand the concepts of getting experience points and spending time leveling up your character in your video games. Well, I'm taking that, those concepts that maybe is kind of foreign to some of you, but I'm trying to build that into a new platform, a new frontier for Jewish evangelism while doing apologetics in a way that most Jewish people have never seen before. And so that is my passion, and I would love to answer any of your questions, perhaps after the service. Um, but today, we're not going to be talking so much about Jewish uh, issues and Jewish apologetics. Today, uh, Pastor Rick asked me to preach on something that would get you going for your next, your next season in, in uh, the sermon series that Pastor Rick is going to be teaching on. He wanted something about how to deal with the particular issues that our culture is facing with today. Per particularly, what are millennials feeling out there? How are millennials and Gen Z uh, uh, generations uh, looking at faith, looking at the church, looking at um, what we're doing here this morning on Sunday morning? And so I'm going to be speaking this morning about the issue of truth, how we can find truth, how we can know what truth is and how all truth comes from our Lord Jesus Christ. Why don't we pray? Father in heaven, we love you and we thank you for this morning that we have to be in your word, in your house, to uh, direct our eyes and our thoughts and our minds uh, to your glory. God, help us to find awe in you this morning. Please open our eyes, open our minds to the wide universe that you have created and help us to find you everywhere, under every rock, at every tree, in all of our professions, in everything that we do. Help us, Lord, to see you there. In the name of Jesus, our Messiah, I pray. Amen. So every morning as a kid, I loved reading the newspaper. Yes, I do know what a newspaper is. I don't have one in our house anymore. But as a kid, I grew up reading the newspaper every day. I would start with the front page, and then I would go to the comics, and then I would go to the movie section, you know, the really important parts. And it was great. And I kind of miss those days now that I don't get the newspaper anymore. But I don't miss them too much because now I have the bee. The Babylon bee, that is. Here are some of the headlines from the Babylon bee that really, really, um, it just really got me excited recently as I was reading the Babylon bee. These are just magnificent reporting uh, Articles. So the first one here is, there was a study, Bible studies held at Chick-fil-A sanctify you 14 times faster. Did you know that? You should start having your Bible studies at Chick-fil-A. Do you guys have a Chick-fil-A around here? Okay, uh, wonderful. Now you can be sanctified faster. Here's the next one. Christian teen commits to no side hugs before marriage. Is that maybe taking the line out a little too far? I, I don't know, but... This is some accurate reporting here. Next one. Moved by a five-minute PragerU video, man accepts Ronald Reagan into his heart. Have any of you done that? Okay. Next one. This is my favorite. Food possessed by demons after family forgets to pray. 
and up comes the demon out of the casserole. If you haven't figured it out yet, the Babylon Bee is a Christian satire news site. It's not actually news, it's fake news, and they are very upfront that this is all satire. They understand evangelical Christian subculture to uh, far beyond what I am capable of. They, they just get us. Most of the fun on the Bee's uh, Facebook page uh, comes from reading the Facebook comments and seeing people that don't really get that this is satire. It just goes whoosh right over their head. And then it's so much fun to read all of these witty, snarky Facebook users who are, you know, just messing around in more satire with these people who don't get that this is all fake. Knowing how to separate fact from fiction is one of the most important skills for us in society. We have to be able to interact with the wider world and know the difference. We need to know what the truth is and how to recognize counterfeits. We need to grow in wisdom and discernment so we're not taken in by the spam calls that we get on our cell phones every single day and so we don't get carried away with the new fad idea that's coming out in pop culture. We need to know the truth because the truth will set us free as Jesus told us. But we have a problem, a really deep society-wide problem, a crisis at the most basic of foundations, and the problem is this, we can't agree on truth anymore. We've lost the common idea of common sense. Our next door neighbor might as well live on another planet with how different they view the world. Everyone has their own facts to justify their own opinions. There's fake news on every website. We have biased and fact-twisting people in the government, in the media, in the university, in Hollywood, and sometimes, yes, even in the pulpit. We are surrounded by a hurricane of truth claims all around us, and they bombard our attention, and they war for our minds. All of these fact-checking websites have sprung up, like Snopes and Washington Post fact-checkers. They claim to solve the problem, but I have a question. Who checks the fact-checkers? Are you guys tired of this yet? I'm tired of this. Are you exhausted over how much the truth seems to be just escaping our grasp? Kind of like sand between our fingers. We just can't get a grip on it. Many of us are tempted to go in one of three directions when we get exhausted by the truth. We simply can't stay neutral in our exhaustion. We, it's too unbearable to not know what to do with truth. And so we have to do something. So our first temptation is to become cynics who distrust everything. We become pessimistic conspiracy theorists about every single truth claim that we hear. No one is to be trusted. Everyone has an angle. The truth cannot be known. Everything is an, op is an opinion. You're just wasting your breath trying to convince me. This is cynicism that eventually leads to emptiness and hopelessness, and despair. The second way we're tempted to go is to make all truth claims subjective. 
This is the postmodern route. That's true for you, but my truth is for me. You can have your truth, but I have my truth. Just follow your truth. Don't let anyone get in your way. This is optimism mixed with extreme personal autonomy. I don't need to listen to anyone else's truth claims because none of them apply to me. I am my own person. I define my own reality. I am the captain of my own ship. Truth is just socially constructed so I can construct my truth the way that I see fit. Now, whether we go down the cynical route or the postmodern route, the result is the same. I don't have to listen to anybody's truth claims. They have absolutely nothing to do with me. It doesn't matter if someone is trying to convince me that Jesus is Lord or that envy is bad. It doesn't matter. Those are just your opinions. Keep them to yourself. But there's a third way that tempts many of us. And it has ensnared many of us who once sat in your seat. It has trapped many because it claims to be the ultimate tiebreaker. The ultimate decider for all truth claims. It is the idea that science is the only way to truth. Science will cut through all the fake news and will lead us to the truth about everything. Science gives us the foundation to stand on, and everything else pales in comparison. This third way, which is an incredibly enticing way in our culture today, is the philosophy of scientism. Science is the way to all truth. So you've got cynicism, postmodernism, and scientism. How many of our loved ones and our friends have succumbed to these understandings of truth? How many of you have felt them tug on your own heart? Today, I want to give you a different vision for the truth. I want you to find awe in the truth. I want you to push back against these unbiblical and sub-Christian reactions to truth by lifting your eyes to the source of all truth, who is God himself. All truth is God's truth, wherever truth is to be found. And it leads like breadcrumbs, big and small, back to God. The truth is intended to move us to worship and awe. And I hope that today you will see how true that is. Our culture's confusion about truth is, it's nothing new. It does not take God by surprise. Jesus stared down this question himself when he stood in Pilate's praetorium. In John 18, 37, Jesus told Pilate, everyone who is of the truth listens to my voice. And then Pilate scoffed back at Jesus. What is truth? And then Pilate went on his way to send Jesus to his own death. Just what is truth just ended the conversation for Pilate. This Roman pagan was a cynic at heart. Perhaps like the skeptics that you have in your own life. Remember, Jesus once said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. When Pilate was asking, what is truth? 
He didn't recognize that he was staring truth in the eyes. Jesus is the embodiment of truth. He is the truth. Do you understand how huge of a statement that is? That is, I want to unpack that for you this morning. This is a humongous statement. Now, sometimes we think that Jesus is just referring to spiritual truths. He's talking here about the way of salvation, about coming to the Father. He's talking about how he is the word of God, and he is the one who delivered truths to us when he was preaching and teaching, and when he delivered the scriptures to us. And because Jesus speaks the truth, we should listen. Now, that, that, that's all true. That's all correct. But Jesus is claiming much more. Jesus is claiming to be the source of all truth everywhere. Look at how the Apostle Paul describes Jesus. In Colossians chapter 2, verses 2 and 3, Paul says, Christ, in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. Christ, in whom are hidden all of the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. If there is any passage that I want you to really focus on and meditate on and study and think about this week, it is this passage. Just stop a moment and think about what you know. What knowledge have you learned? What wisdom about life have you learned in the course of your days on this earth? Jesus established the contours of that wisdom. He dug the grooves for the course of wisdom to flow this way and not that way. He was the originator of all knowledge that you know or would ever know. In him are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. That means that Jesus is the source of civil engineering. Jesus is the source of accounting. He is the source of biology and chemistry and physics and journalism and ethics and music and medicine and art. Anything true in any of those professions comes from him. Jesus is the most brilliant man who ever lived. A genius who far outranks Einstein or the local university professors. Anywhere truth is found, Jesus is the originator of that truth. Do you see how universe-wide this vision of truth is? It encompasses absolutely everything. This is our Father's world. He established it. He orchestrated its symphony. He gave us his son to know his world and himself better. Do you see how different this vision of truth is from the cynicism and the postmodernism and the scientism that we just spoke about? I briefly mentioned each of those responses to fake news and all the controversies around us, but now let's explain why each of those responses are not true. Each of them are bad options. Francis Schaeffer, an apologist from a generation ago, who was really ahead of the trends, he understood that this was the direction that culture was going. He once wrote this. When we say a person is lost, 
we usually think of evangel evangelically lost. That he or she is a sinner who needs to accept Christ as Savior. That's, that's the normal way we think of people as being lost. But our whole generation has a second sense of being lost, which is valid. That they are without meaning in the world, without purpose, without morals, without a basis for law. No final principles, no final answers for anything. They know that they are lost in this way. When we turn to the Bible, the Bible makes plain that indeed they are lost in both senses. They are lost evangelically, but without God, they are lost in the modern sense as well. And so how do we respond to these modern people who have lost their way and are lost in both senses of the word? First, let's talk about the cynic. The cynic is someone who distrusts anyone and everything. Truth cannot be known, so skepticism about everything is the way to live. But really, this is absurd. A cynic is saying, in effect, there is no truth. That's what a cynic is saying. But this is a truth claim in and of itself. Is it true that there is no truth? Oh, now you've got them caught in a circle. Oh, what do I do? Is it true that there's no truth? See, it self-destructs. They'll say, truth cannot be known. Do you know that truth cannot be known? Oh, you just got them caught in a circle again. Are you indifferent about your indifference? See, cynicism self-destructs. The same thing happens with anyone who says, uh, everything is just opinion. Well, is that just an opinion too? Why should, I, why should I listen to you? All you're spouting out is just a bunch of opinions. Cynicism not only self-destructs on the rocks of logic, but on a practical level as well. Aristotle once asked, if someone denies that truth exists, why doesn't he walk into a well or off a cliff as he walks along. If truth does not exist, then why treat those things any differently than solid ground? Is it true that that's a cliff? Oh, I don't know. So why not walk right over it? But you see, a cynic does treat them differently because he does believe that that cliff is different than something else. So a cynic cannot even live in accordance with his own cynicism. Then there's the postmodernist. The one who says that reality is socially constructed. That I can have my truth, you can have your truth, and who are you to tell me that there is something true beyond me that I must believe in? Nancy Piercy points out that no one actually lives this way in a consistent manner. She says, no one designs an airplane by postmodern principles. See, if you did, you would kill lots of people because airplanes don't care about your opinions on whether or not gravity exists. It does, whether or not that is your truth or not. Most people are really only postmodernists when it comes to morality and religion. They want to be able to pick and choose whatever they want to do for their own lives. And then they have to rely on some other system for something else. 
You see, they can't trust their postmodernism for getting in a car, going to work, getting on an airplane, so they have to they have to punt the ball down to some other system of thoughts, and they typically do that with science. But hear what I'm saying here. Postmodernism is a failed worldview in and of itself because it can't explain everything. Postmodernism is tunnel vision, and it's inconsistent. It can only explain certain things, religion and morality, and it cannot explain anything else. And so postmodernism often punts the ball down to scientism, which says that the only way to know objective, universal truth is through science. You can have your own private opinions about morality and religion, they'll say, but don't oppose them on anybody else because they are not facts. They're not true. They're just your opinions. Christianity is probably disproved by science anyway, they'll say. Science, establish, science establishes facts, not the Bible or anything that you learn in church. But honestly, guys, this view self-destructs as well. The statement, science is the only way to know truth, is not itself a scientific statement. It is actually a philosophical statement. You can't take that statement, put it in a test tube, and run a bunch of experiments on that statement. You just can't. That is not what this statement is claiming. This statement is a claim of philosophy. And so scientism cannot even justify itself. But there are even, there are even more problems with scientism. Scientism cannot explain foundational principles that even make science work. Science can't explain why mathematics works or why the laws of logic exist. Or it can't explain why there's even order in the universe. Science presupposes the truths of these things. It has to have these things already true before science can even work. And so there has to be a higher truth that is prior to science and enable science to determine lower truths. And here, in this room, we all know that that higher truth that stands behind everything else is God himself. And that is not just true in this room, just for us. That is not just our private opinion. That is objective, final truth for everything and everybody and the entire universe. If there is a God who stands behind all truth, then scientism is false. And postmodernists and cynics are wrong in their pessimism about truth because God has actually spoken. He has brought knowledge of the truth. Therefore, the three options of cynicism, postmodernism, and scientism are each inadequate ways to view the truth. Instead, we need to regain a unified, biblical vision of what truth is. A unity that comes from the one good God who stands behind all human knowledge. We have so lost this vision, even in the church. And it has hampered our witness to the world. We in the church, we used to get it. But in the last hundred years, we have been on a retreat in these matters. 
We're not far from Harvard University, Boston University. Do you know why universities are called universities? There's a reason why they're called that. The reason is a holdover from a bygone era. Universities are focused on the study of the universe. That is all that exists. But they're not called plural versities. They're called universities. Una meaning unity. One, together. This is referring to the assumption and the belief that all knowledge comes from a single unified source. And that source is God. In the original vision of the university, every single discipline was interrelated to the other disciplines because they all came from the same one God who created them and established their truth. There was an underlying order tying them all together. Thus, physics and theology went hand in hand. Art and ethics went hand in hand. Because there was a single, perfect, holy source of all knowledge, everything God established in his creation was in harmony, marred only by the effects of the fall. Listen to Johannes Kepler, the 17th century Christian astronomer who was so influential in revolutionizing our view of the cosmos. He said, The chief aim of all investigations of the external world should be to discover the rational order and harmony which has been imposed on it by God and which he has revealed to us in the language of mathematics. Kepler and other Christian thinkers of his era were enthralled by the idea of investigating the universe and thinking God's thoughts after him. Sir Isaac Newton, for example, said that the main business of science was to trace all cause and effect relationships back to the first cause, that is, God. And so, Christians established universities like Harvard and Boston, and they pursued knowledge of God and knowledge of the world in tandem because knowledge of the world led to knowledge of God. That was the mission of the university. The classic Christian view of the world is that there are two kinds of truth, each of which come from God and are therefore unified. The first is the revelation of Scripture. The Word of God is true and trustworthy. But the other source of truth is observation of the world that God has made. These were called the book of Scripture and the book of creation. And we're supposed to drink deeply from each of them in order to know God better. Look at what the Apostle Paul said in Romans chapter 1. He said, For what can be known about God is plain to them, human beings, because God has shown it to them. How has he shown truth about himself to us? For his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and his divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world 
in the things that have been made. Look around at the things that have been made, Paul says. There you can perceive the eternal power and the divine nature of God. This is God enticing us to study his world and to connect it with his purposes, his designs, his rationality, and his mind. This is why scientific pursuits began in Christianity and not in any other world religion. As David proclaimed in Psalm chapter 8, When I look at your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars, which you have set in place, what is man that you are mindful of him, and the son of man that you care for him? David is standing in awe of God's creation. When was the last time you stood in awe of God's creation? Where you connected that awe with the God who made it. We can't really know the depths of what David is talking about without pondering the vastness of the universe. And the more we ponder the immensity of creation and all of its intricacies, whether small or great, and we ponder its beauty, the more we will be led to fall on our knees in worship of the God who made it all. He's bigger than anything our eyes can see or our minds can imagine. We are meant to find awe in the truth. And so now I've given you a universe-spanning vision for what truth is. An awe-inspiring, magnificent vista that leads us to know God more. But do you have that same vision today? For the past hundred years, the church has been on retreat in these matters. Instead of having a unified vision of truth, we have fragmented the truth. Previous generations of Christians were known for their magnificent painting and their architecture and their orchestral music. But we've left the arts and culture, the Hollywood and the billboard music charts, calling them the domains of the devil. Previous generations pioneered the hard scientists, hard sciences, but we have pulled out of the universities and established Bible colleges. Previous generations of Christians were known for their pursuit of law and ethics, but today we do not have a single Supreme Court justice with a Protestant upbringing. Previous generations saw blue-collar professions as a means to worship God and pursue excellence in all areas of life. Do we just see our jobs as a paycheck or as a means to worship God? If the church is supposed to be a proclaimer of truth to a lost world, lost in both senses, remember, but we retreat to just teaching the Bible in our own private spaces and we leave the study of the world to everybody else, is it any wonder that our society has become confused about the truth? As believers, we're supposed to be sharing the unity of the book of creation with the book of scripture, but we've often failed at that. The professors at the universities, which are now fully secular, losing the idea of what a university is supposed to be, now the professors at the universities are seen as the arbiters of truth. They are the ones who tell us what we must believe. 
And now the church is just a place for private opinion. If we segment our work life from our intellectual life, from our worship life, is it any wonder that non-believers do not think that we have any answers for the questions that they are asking? We're still allowed to set the terms of spiritual truth within these four walls here today. But the world dictates to us the truth of what everything else is. The realm of the sacred has grown smaller and smaller as the realm of the secular has grown, grown monstrous in size. Is it any wonder that we lose our kids to secular, non-Christian worldviews when they think that there are better answers to their questions outside these four walls? So we've lost our grip on that unified vision of truth that comes from God's word. Our communities and our country suffer for it. This has been a slow, multi-generational slide to where we are today. And so a fix will not be easy. But what can we do to reverse this decline today? The church is supposed to be the leavening agent that leads and redeems the culture through our witness and our lifestyle and through the gospel. And so I'm going to give you five action steps that all of us can take to reverse this trend. First, we need to recognize and repent of our fragmented thought life and our fragmented lifestyles. We can no longer say this area of study or this area of life is for the non-believers. And I will stay in my safe Christian corner over here. No, all truth is God's truth. And we need to repent of shutting God out of our conception of human experience over here. Arts and culture are not just for the secular elite. They are for us too. And we need to get better at them. Chemistry and physics are not just for atheist professors. They are for us too. Fixing cars and being a plumber are not secular jobs that have nothing to do with Christianity. They have everything to do with Christianity. So our first step is repenting of our fragmented vision of truth. Second, we need to reclaim our professions for Christ. Yes, there is a Christian way to be a plumber. Let me walk you through it. The way that you are fixing problems as you turn that pipe, that is grounded in God's orderly universe. The way that you are bringing restoration and relief to people as they're drowning in their basement, that is grounded in an ethic of love. The way that you handle your prices and engage your customers, that is grounded in Christ's golden rule and the image of God in man. There is a Christian way to be a student, a Christian way to be a retiree, a baker, an accountant, a doctor. Our Christianity must not be separate from these things. Rather, these things would not even exist without the truth of God as revealed in Christianity. So our second step needs to be integrating our vision of God into our very professions and walks of life. Third, we need to teach this vision of truth to our children. 
up on the screen, yes, those are my adorable little kids, Natalie and David. They are being brought up in a world where religion is in the realm of private values and truth is found in the universities. We have to fight against that with a broad vision of what truth actually is. We need to show them that our faith has vast resources to answer all of the questions that they run into across all walks of life. We need to stop teaching our children mere Bible stories. And we need to return to teaching them a Christian worldview. How to separate fact from fiction, how to think, how to process truth claims, how to bring them back to God's word or back to the book of creation that is established by God. Don't just tell them that college is a secular, depraved place where you're where your faith will be challenged. Don't just tell them that. Prepare them from the, gra- from, from the cradle to, to be ready to answer these kinds of objections, to process what they're being told. That way they can become enraptured with the truth of God wherever it is found. In our house at night, we read the Bible to our kids, and then we read a children's encyclopedia. And we teach them how to integrate both sides. I believe that our kids need that in this modern world. Because they're going to be taught that only one of those two is actually true. Fourth, we need to read and listen and study widely and deeply. This may be difficult for many of us who are addicted to our TVs and our media intake but you will be rewarded with rich dividends if you change what you spend your time looking at. Put down the TV remote and pick up the Puritans. Ditch the romance novels and pick up St. Augustine. Stay home from the movies and read J.I. Packer's Knowing God. Or slowly work your way through a systematic theology. Turn off Fox News and listen to Al Mohler's daily podcasts where he talks about the intersection of news and theology. Read an introductory book on the Christian philosophical tradition. How can you integrate God into every area of your life unless you learn? Finally, learn to explain the vastness of God's truth to the non-believers in your life. And then go out and do it. This will become second nature for you if you've done the first four steps that I've just lined out. The world out there thinks that evangelical Christians are backwards, superstitious Neanderthals who can't put two thoughts together. I challenge you to prove them wrong. I challenge you to do that in a, in, in a, with words of love, yes, words of the gospel, but also words of truth. Words of knowledge. I challenge you to so integrate your thoughts and your lifestyle with your faith that you become a beacon for evangelism everywhere you go. This world needs to know that all truth comes from God. That all wisdom and all knowledge and answers are found in Christ. But first we need to learn and experience that and meditate on that and believe that at the depths of our souls ourselves. 
I want to close with another quote from Francis Schaeffer, who fought tirelessly for the vision of truth that I have been sharing with you here this morning. He wrote, The Christian system, what is taught in the whole Bible, is a unity of thought. Christianity is not just a lot of bits and pieces. There is a beginning and an end, a whole system of truth, and this system is not the only system, and this system is the only system that will stand up to all the questions that are presented to us as we face the reality of existence. Some of the other systems answer some of the questions, but leave others unanswered. I believe it is only Christianity that gives the answers to all the crucial questions. We have the answers at our fingertips. God's truth is waiting to be found. Let's go out and find it. And as we find it, let's be caught up in the awe and the worship of God's truth that is centered in him. And then we should invite others to come and be awestruck with us. As Paul said, in Christ are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. Let's regain that vision for ourselves and our families and the watching world around us. Let's pray. Father, this is your world. You established it, you planned it, and you gave it as a gift to us. We thank you, Lord, for this good world that you have made. We repent of the ways that we have brought brokenness into it ourselves. We still see the hand of your, of, of your artistic beauty throughout this world. It has been marred. It is a marred masterpiece. But we see your truth, God. And we ask, Father, that you would help us to stand in awe of what you have done, what you have made, how you have revealed yourself to us. And help us, Lord, to be evangelists. Help us to be apologists. Help us to be the hand of need to the people around us. Help us regain this vision and redeem the world around us. In the name of Jesus, our Messiah, I pray. Amen.